been talking about uh, the selected psalms, and I'm going to just uh, pick out two verses, really, of this psalm, but I want to give the next couple of weeks uh, preface to that, and we want to start in 2 Samuel chapter 22, chapter 11, verse 22, 2 Samuel 11, 22, and this really is the sets the scene for this psalm, 51, in 1500s, Victorinus Strigelius, Strigelius said, this psalm is the brightest gem in the entire book and contains, Psalm 51, contains instruction so large and doctrine so precious that the tongue of angels could not do justice to the full development. And so Psalm 51 uh, is, is a very powerful psalm. I had it memorized at one time. I'm not sure I could get all the way through it again, but I need to review that and get that uh, going again. But uh, Psalm 51 uh, is uh, one of the, and by the way, let me ask you this ahead of time. Question one, how many penitential psalms are there? Seven. 6, 32, 38, 51, uh, 102, 130, and 143. So there are seven penitential psalms. The reason he's penitent, we find the story, 2 Samuel chapter 3, 11, verse, th- verse 1, 11, 1, all the way through up to 22. Uh, Uriah has been killed, and the messenger comes back to David in 22. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent for and the messenger said unto David, I'm 11, uh, 23 of Second Samuel. Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were glad them, uh, we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants. And some of thy king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And instead of tearing his garments and being abject sorrow, David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. I just, uh, Henry Moore says about seven days, uh, typically. And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife. And remember, he wants to marry her as soon as possible to avoid the look of impropriety. She became his wife and bare him a son. But this last verse, but the thing that David did, had done, displeased the Lord. And between that and twelve is a year. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in the one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. He did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared, or he refused to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for a wayfaring man that was coming to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled upon against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore. Now, I'm, I don't know how he's going to be able to do this, but he shall restore the lamb fourfold if he's dead. But because he did this thing and because he had no pity, and David said to Nathan, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. 
And if it had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. You say, but he didn't, he didn't draw the sword. Well, he did, in God's eyes. And with the sword. And thou hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. Absalom would be that person. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. With that in mind, we continue and turn over now, if you would, to Psalm 51. That is the reasoning for Psalm 51. A year, evidently a year, we believe, happened between those two chapters, 12, 11 and 12 of Second Samuel, and Nathan comes in with a consummate surgical precision. It gives one short story, gets David's anger going, and he's ready to be hypocritically to kill a person for a, over a lamb. He says, you... Thou art the man. If we could see videos in history, I would like to see that. And, and uh, just how that, how the response that was, what a, what a reckoning it was. From the evidence of the Psalms, as a matter of fact, if you hold your finger, I thought we'd just turn a few verses of Psalm 6. So if you want to hold your finger in 51, go back to Psalm 6, and let's see what they, how David was struggling. One of the seven penitential Psalms, Psalm 6. Lord, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine, hot, uh, thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, Psalm 6, 2, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Save me for thy mercy's sake, for in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Back to 51. That's just a sample of what David evidently was feeling during this year time, he simply said, we might say today, he tried to ride out the storm. He tried to contain within him sinful feelings, sinful happenings, but they just overrode when Nathan comes along. Thou art the man. What could he say? And I think the sword, you read it, maybe you read a, a story, and the sword was at that person's throat before they knew what was going on. And I think that was with David. Before David knew, he pulled the trigger, and there he was. You're the one. You are the one who needs to repent. The fountain, I think, of the David's soul was broken. The pent-up passions of remorse and guilt and shame all came out. With his heart still pounding, very possibly, Philip says, he wrote Psalm 51. So we find that David, out of this emotional trauma, comes this wonderful psalm. If you look at the top part, which we so often ignored, it says there in the top of 51, before you even read verse 1, to the chief musician... My, my, my Henry Morse Bible says, A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. So this is the response that David has. He's been caught. He has been found guilty and he repents. Interesting, the verses we're going to talk about talks about a sacrifice. If there was a sacrifice I could offer, by the way, was there a sacrifice for murder? There was not. I mean, the one toll, the bell toll rings as you die. For murder or adultery, either one, likely. 
So there wasn't a sacrifice he could give to, to cover it over. And it wasn't a mere private confession of one poet's guilt to God, but a public expression of penitence. Why? That he might edify the people of God through his repentance. Now think about question two. What did David have to lose was well, life potentially. Remember, Nathan says in the verse we just stopped that you will not die, but his life was never the same. You say, well, pastor, David got off the hook. Yes, his ministry was never the same. Once he did that, his ministry, as God would have him to do, was, was laid aside, I believe. He was never that strong, powerful, spiritual leader because everybody knew. Everybody knew. He didn't die physically, but in some ways, I believe his, his spiritual strength was zapped. What was his position compared to us? Well, he was a lot more. I mean, David, of all the kings of Israel, he's the number one king of Israel outside of Jesus himself. He's and it's so important, so well-known, so loved. Yet he makes a public announcement. We could ill afford to leave, should we leave this page out of our Bible? Some has quipped that the germs of the worst crimes are in us all. The germs of the worst crimes are in us all. Just yesterday, uh, the governor of California signed 13 abortion laws into, into play in California. And one of them is uh, AB2223, which according to Melody Guterres, staff writer for the LA Times, this was in yesterday's paper. This law, which was particularly targeted by anti-abortion groups, pro-life groups, would prohibit a coroner from holding an inquest after a fetal death, including in cases in which drugs are suspected as causing a stillbirth. In other words, there can be no reason, if a baby dies in the womb, there can be no reason ever, according to this law, for a coroner to look into, was there any kind of foul play? 13 pro-abortion laws, and if they prove it in, in November... The pro-abortion mandate will be part of the California state constitution is what they want come November, if they get what they want. The germs of the worst crimes are in all of us. Remember, the, the Bible says in Jeremiah, is it 17.9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So this, this addresses really the issue of brokenness in the life of the believer. I think David was broken at this point. Thou art the man. Brokenness really is exactly what God looks for in our approaches to him. Humility. That is something we are, I need. You, we, 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 we all need humility. Really, we, we sincerely do. Think of the most grievous, question three, the most grievous sin that you've ever committed or sins. And how, no answer out loud, but how did that make you feel? Very guilty shamed you wanted to make it right you wish you'd never done that you all these different things that's david has that has been building up page two we need to work on the need to seek forgiveness of those who we've offended those remember one is god god i've done wrong the carl menninger some time ago the famed psychiatrist once said if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric clinics that their sins were forgiven 75% would go home the next day. If I could just convince him that your sins have been forgiven, 75% would go home the very next day. In this context, a darker guile you will scarcely find, kingly power abused, the worst passions yielded to, David's prayer of confession after being confronted. These are his feelings after his sin. 51.1 Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. 
According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, 51.2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sinned, and my mother conceived me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And look what he says. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Do good and thy good pleasure unto Zion, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with whole burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Sixteen, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Martin Luther said that this is there is no other psalm which is oftener sung or prayed in the church. William Plummer said this is the first psalm in which we have the word spirit used in application to the Holy Spirit. David knew that there was no form of sacrifice satisfactory to cleanse him. So brokenness in your outline is the very atmosphere of revival. The uh, late Stephen Olford, who led Billy Graham to the Lord, I met him a couple times, went to his uh, teaching or preaching classes down in Memphis. Stephen Olford said that revival is a return to normal Christian living. Probably the, the definition I like best. Revival is a return to normal Christian living. There's so much about we, as we have stayed, our, our beliefs have stayed the same. Our church, our Europe, we are together, and our, our beliefs have stayed the same. We're all holding the Bible true, and yet now we're on the fringe. Now we are the far right. Now we're the radicals. Now we're, all, we're just holding to the same things that we've held to since, since I was a little boy, but now we some, all of a sudden we become extremists. We're just holding what a few years ago, a few decades ago, a majority of people believed. It's a return to normal Christian living. That is revival. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said revival is awakening, stimulating the life, bringing it to the surface again. It is not the church deciding to do something and doing it. It is something that is done to the church. It happens to the church. So we can pray for revival. We're having special meetings. Let's pray for revival, that God would revive the pastor's heart, the hearts of each one here. We're living in a time, I believe, of cultural Christianity. It's been for a couple of decades, three or four decades, really, instead of radical. We call, uh, we call people, well, he's a fan of baseball or he's a football fan. What is the long term for fan? What's, the, what's it short for? Fanatic. 
So when you say you're a baseball fan, I'm, you're a fanatic about it. Really, is what you're saying. We're, we're just, if we just were living as God wanted us to live, that would be the normal Christianity. Nothing really radical. We call it we call it radical today. Do you remember the movie we saw? We had a couple a few years ago. It's the guy who gets gets. He's like eighteen hundreds and gets sent but real forward to our time. And and he's walking around and seeing people doing things. And and whoa, the people need to hear God. And they're like, and he's like, wow, how much things have changed. And you do this now, and you do. And we had returned to normal Christian living to revive the heart of the contract ones in Isaiah fifty seven or. 57.15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Spirit of humility. What dirt is to the body, sin really is to the inner person. So David had a right to feel defiled. He did because he's allowed the sin. He's not confessed it. Have you ever had a sin in your life that you like too much to confess right off the bat? I, I sort of enjoying this and it's got, it's, got, it's got its claws in me. I know I should let go of this, but if I let go of this, I can't do this and do that. Or We, we need to confess those. Spurgeon says, when the heart mourns for sin, thou art... Better pleased than when the bullock bleeds beneath the blade. When the heart mourns for sin. The meaning of brokenness, number one, in Scotland, they have a saying, love is better felt than telt. I remember hearing a guy who, a pastor from Canada, spoke many years ago, back in the early 2000s. I heard him say this very thing. That's where I got it from. Love is better felt than telt. Dr. Donald Warch used to speak over at Brian from the Baptist Children's Home in Valparaiso, Indiana, said this. I've remembered it from when he said it the first time. Love is more an action to be learned than a feeling to be felt. You, want, you say, I love someone, let's see it. You lo- love is more felt than, than felt. You want to say, I love you, I love you, sweetheart. Well, then I want to see you. We need to see you doing things. It's, it's an action verb, if you would. It's visible. It's tangible. Brokenness is like a perfume, a fragrance emanating from the believer. I used to, when we were lived in Smithfield, Virginia, we, I walked out by the main road there, Smithfield, you know, that's the home of Smithfield pork. And so I walked by there, and the trucks would come up from North Carolina somewhere, and had all these hogs, and they would go by, and I had to breathe through my mouth for about a minute, because that smell just came right, and you get behind them going down, or going up, and you have to sort of back, let your car back away because that smell just came right along with them. And that's when our, we walk through the room is the smell of that we've been with Christ. Rather than saying you're broken, let us see it in your life. Bullocks and rams, he does not desire, but the contrite heart, yes, he, he wants that. Now what brokenness is not, a couple things there in your notes. Brokenness is not, first D is despising, despising our humanness. God has given us life. He wants to give us eternal life. We cannot despise that. He has made us, he's created us, and he wants to be our savior. I trust all of you have asked him to be your savior. That's the second part. He is, gives us life. He wants to give us eternal life. Secondly, brokenness is not destroying our personality, destroying our personality. The communists are determined to make a socialist communist state. They want to destroy the personalities. Russia lost her personality. One author said regarding Russia, turning them into so many cogs in a wheel. They were so oppressed. Many personalities were undoubtedly destroyed when I was in Romania and, and, and Moldova and Ukraine. 
Uh, when I wasn't in the jail there, when it was, those things, I didn't go very long in the jail anyway. But when I was there, the, the songs are all minor key. Like, oh, minor key. We need a minor key sound, minor key sound. <laughs> you just hear that, oh, it's like this, oh, woeful and sorrowful. And that's the idea. When Christ comes in, we have joy. I have the joy, 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 down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. So it's not destroying our personality. It's not despising our humanness. Brokenness, thirdly, is not devastating our gifts. So, Pastor, I just, I just hope that one day God will use me. Pastor, I, if you were here on Sunday afternoon, I can't sing. Oh, what? Just come up here and mouth. And I love what Pastor Paul said Sunday. We're not singing to the people. We're singing to God. He's got 20 people in his choir. I don't know how many are left. Hey, well, what's, who's going to listen? God can listen. So if everybody wants to be in the choir, come up, be in the choir. We are singing to the Lord. Well, I just, a pastor just can't do that. Let him use your talents. Don't bury your talents. Use them how God wants them to be used. I can, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If we'll give them to him. It's, it's the song where I will go on because I believe God can. God can take what you give to him and use it for his glory. And fourthly, there's admittedly a destructive brokenness. A destructive brokenness. Now things break. I was trying to fix my, my shower, uh, upstairs shower. has those things where you take off, you unscrew this really long screw. You have to keep turning, 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 turning. And then you pull it up and get the drain. You go down in the drain. Well, I, I had somehow... I had stripped that. No, I was like, I, was, I know it doesn't take that long. I kept going. And I was just going around, 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 around. Finally, I said, something's wrong. And so I, I stripped out that middle part. So I had to go and get a new insert for the tub with a new screw, et cetera, all those things which you're not even using now. But anyway, that's a natural break. There also is some destructive brokenness. Peter the Great, when he was building Petersburg, which became Leningrad, later St. Petersburg, when many lives were being lost, he said these words, oh, we must break some eggs to make omelets. That's a destructive brokenness. He felt human beings to be disposable. Sort of like the mindset of some today. The meaning of brokenness, secondly, what, first of all, what brokenness is not, and secondly, should be what brokenness is, page three, what we bring to God must be such as God requires. That would be common sense. Uh, question four, then, does God have a preference regarding things like worship and speech and singing? Yes, attitude, yes. God has a preference, he does. He has a, how, we, how we live, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's, God wants us to focus on those things, anthems and hymns, which have no repeating chorus, and hymns and, and anthems and hymns. And then gospel songs, spiritual songs, that's what he wants us to use to praise him, etc. The sacrifices in 51.17 of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So contrite is a deep sorrow on account of our sin. It involves a right estimate of sin. We're guilty of violation of God's law. A right feeling in relation to sin, it loathes sin, and a right conduct in relation to sin. He forsook it. I understand, and I'm going to stop, and I'm not going to do that any longer. Brokenness, really, a synonym is that word contrite. It means to, to grind into particles, to grind into powder. Now, Hosea, as you, as you turn in closing, look at Jeremiah 4.3 and Hosea 
I think it's chapter 10, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, and they use this uh, term in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. This contrite, uh, the grinding to powder, Jeremiah chapter 4, Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, so not among thorns. Hosea 10, 12. Break up the fallow ground. Hosea 10, 12. And we have here, it says for us there, very similar language. Uh, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Is that the correct one? I think it is. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm looking here, and it, I turned my, lost my page. <laughs> it must be, it, it, break up the fallow ground is the same, same meaning. 10, 12. Maybe it's 10, 12. It is. Thank you. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. And that is the idea. We are, it's the contrary, is that breaking up the ground, we are to have soil that is ready for the sower. Perhaps I just saw some gardens yesterday. People have cleaned out the tomatoes and they've broken the fallow and they've got it ready for next year. Some of you probably already got them as far as they got it ready to set for the put in their mulch in there and all these different things, their leaves, and they're going to grind that back in there to make it. Then come the spring, they'll be out there planting their soil and it'll be ready for the soil. We are to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. If there's sin, we are to allow the plow to go through to make our lives moldable for God to use. And we'll stop right there on the 5117 and we will finish up next time in a couple of weeks Lord willing have a missionary next Wednesday let us close in prayer Lord to help us not to have the hearts that are so hardened that are so rejecting of your word that are so unlistening to your spirit that we cannot be taught Lord David's heart was broken but for a year we believe for a year he resisted your spirit's wooing and resisted he maybe he deceived himself we're unsure Maybe he's lying to himself. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So, Lord, help us not to be doing that. If we, if the Holy Spirit, you point out things, if you convict our hearts, maybe respond, Lord. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, he prayed. May that be our hearts cry. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. Give us opportunities to share your love with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.